0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. What's up, podcast listeners? Welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode number 80, entitled, Paul's Theology on the Relationship Between Jesus and the Spirit, Part 1. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. We hope that this podcast has spurred you to have those very important conversations about God and Jesus' humanity. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. We have been exploring the Holy Spirit in its relationship to God and Jesus Christ as of late on the podcast. Thus far, We have observed, beginning in the Hebrew Bible, that the Holy Spirit acts as an extension of God's personal power and presence, interacting within God's good creation. This same understanding appeared in the four canonical Gospels, especially when it came to describing the relationship to the human Jesus and the Spirit. For Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, The Holy Spirit anointed and empowered Jesus, not unlike other prophetic figures within the history of Judaism. From there, we turn to ask how it was that this Spirit-empowered human Jesus ultimately became the resurrected giver of the Spirit, and we found that this was made possible because God first gave the Spirit to Jesus, And now, Jesus shares in the giving of the Spirit to others. For the next four or so episodes, I want to turn to the Apostle Paul and see how he understands the relationship between the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. How does Paul articulate the interaction between Jesus and the Spirit? What can we learn about what or who The Holy Spirit is based on the theology of the Apostle Paul. These will be the questions that occupy this and the following episodes of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Before we get started, I want to admit that quite often Paul is not as clear as readers would like for him to be, leading to disagreement on how best to interpret him. I'm well aware of this, and I know that The different interpretations of the Apostle Paul have become quite hostile, so I will tread very carefully as I navigate through this sea of Pauline texts. I don't want to make too many hard and fast interpretations. If there's something that's controversial, I want to treat it cautiously and to say that my particular reading is probably right, but I have been wrong before. First thing we're going to look at today is that Paul seems to openly speak about the association between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to look at three particular passages to where Paul seems to, without any reservation, describe the activity of the Spirit as something that overlaps the activity of the risen Jesus. It's important here to understand that in these texts, Paul is describing the activity of the risen Jesus, and exalted Jesus not the Jesus prior to his resurrection that we see in the Gospels so Paul always has in his mind in these particular texts the crucified and risen Jesus that has been exalted to God's right hand Let's look at this passage in Galatians 4 and verse 6 where Paul says because you are sons God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts crying Abba Father that's Galatians 4 6 where the Holy Spirit is actually described here as the Spirit of his Son the Spirit of God's Son so in this description of the Holy Spirit that God continues to send it seems to overlap with the activity of the Son of the Son of God to where the Spirit is described as the Spirit of of god's son that's galatians 4 verse 6 we can see much of the same in romans 8 verse 9 where paul says however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of god dwells in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him romans 8 verse 9 here again we have the holy spirit Described in some sort of measure as associating with Jesus. It is called the Spirit of Christ. And it seems to be just another way of describing the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is another way of describing the Spirit of Christ. Moving on to Philippians chapter 1, we can see Paul speak of much of the same. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.19. There again, the Holy Spirit is described in some sort of relationship or overlapping ministry with Jesus Christ, described here as the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So those three passages in Galatians Romans and Philippians, we have the Holy Spirit described in some sort of manner as overlapping with the ministry of Jesus, being described as the Spirit of God's Son, the Spirit of Christ, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We should carefully point out that Paul is not equating the risen Jesus with the Holy Spirit, as if the two are now one and the same. Paul is describing the role of the Holy Spirit in light of the risen Jesus in the purposes of God. It is not true to say that the risen Jesus has become the Holy Spirit. No, that's not exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul talks about the Spirit of God's Son, not that the Spirit is the Son. He talks about the Spirit of Christ, not that the Spirit is Christ. That's a very, very important distinction. It is also interesting to note, however, that Paul regularly defines the Spirit within his letters as the Spirit of God. So these references in these three passages to the Spirit of Jesus, whatever that might mean, are actually the exceptions to the rule rather than the normal manner in which the Holy Spirit is portrayed by Paul. In other words, the most frequent and common way that Paul describes the Spirit is that it is God's Spirit. It is the Spirit of God. And these three passages here, to where the Spirit is described in association with Jesus, are actually the exceptions to the rule, not the normal way that Paul portrays the Holy Spirit within his letters. Our second point today is that for Paul, it is God who is the giver of of the spirit we can look in all of his letters and we can see every single time that paul describes the sending of the holy spirit into god's world or into the lives of god's people and we can actually see without any exception that god is the sender of the spirit let's look at these passages first corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12 says now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, so that we may know freely the things given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. There, clearly, God is the sender of the Spirit. Moving on to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 21, Paul says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21-22. through Again, God there, who is distinguished from Christ, is the one who sealed us and gave us the Spirit. Moving further into 2 Corinthians, let's look into chapter 5, starting in verse 5. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Second Corinthians 5.5 5. Again, God is the one who gave the Corinthians the Spirit. What about in Galatians? Galatians chapter 3. Let's start in verse 5. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Galatians 3, verses 5 through 6. God there is the giver of the Spirit and the one that works miracles among the Galatians. Of course, we already saw the reference in Galatians chapter 4, but I want to make sure that we're clear on this particular point. In Galatians 4 and verse 6, Paul says that God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. God sends forth the Spirit, but of course, the Spirit's activity. Overlaps with the activity of God's Son, but God is the named sender. We go on to Ephesians. Ephesians one seventeen says, "The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him." Ephesians one seventeen. There. The relationship between God and Jesus is clearly defined. God is the God of Jesus. That God is the Father, and that God is the one that is prayed to in order that He may give the readers the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And moving to First Thessalonians chapter four, Paul says, "So he who rejects this is not rejecting man." but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 8. In fact, everywhere in the letters of Paul, where the Holy Spirit is given, it is always, without exception, God the Father, who is the one who gives that Spirit. Never once does Paul mention that Jesus gives or passes on the Spirit. For Paul, without exception, God sends forth the Holy Spirit within his theology. Although we can see that Jesus is involved in some sense, as we saw there in Galatians 4.6, that God sends forth the Spirit of his Son. So the activity of the risen Jesus overlaps with the activity of the sent Spirit, but it is God, without exception, who is the sender of the Spirit in the theology of the Apostle Paul. Our third point today, we'll be looking at the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 3.17. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul offers a Midrashic reading of Exodus 34, the account in the Hebrew Bible where Moses has to put a veil over his face when interacting with the Israelites because of the glory that Moses absorbed from talking to Yahweh on the mountain. In the midst of Paul's Midrash, he offers what scholars have called a Pesher method of interpreting the text, which was a common way of explaining Jewish text in light of their present-day application. So again, the Pesher method of explaining text takes an ancient text and it applies it specifically to the modern-day readers. It's a very common way that Christians interpret texts, but we can see that Paul was using this, manner of explaining ancient texts within his letters. The word pesher is the Hebrew noun for interpretation, and this way of explaining texts was very common in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it is rather apparent to understand what Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians 3 to those who are actually familiar with the Qumran scrolls. I'm going to read a little bit of the context here in 2 Corinthians 3, where we can see that Paul is describing the interaction of Moses with God on the mountain and the glory that Moses absorbed and how that glory had to be veiled so that people could not see and experience the full glory of God. In 2 Corinthians 3, I'm going to start in verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it was removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil Lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 17. Now, it seems here that Paul begins with a passage from the Hebrew Bible, and that passage is Exodus chapter 34, verse 34. Easy to remember 34, 34. And Paul develops this in light of the present-day interaction between Jews in the Old Covenant and those who turn to the Lord in the New Covenant. Our question is in regard to verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul says that the Lord is the Spirit. What I'm curious to know is whether this Lord, who is identified with the Spirit, is Yahweh from the Old Testament, or is it the Lord Jesus Christ? It's very interesting, because I'm curious as to the interaction that Paul understands between the Spirit and Jesus. So if this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, then we have a very interesting passage that we need to talk about. But let's look at this. Let's look at, in particular, the passage that Paul is drawing from, which is Exodus 34 and verse 34. This passage reads, But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out, and whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded. That's Exodus thirty-four and verse thirty-four. Now it's clear in Exodus thirty-four thirty-four that the Lord, which in Hebrew is Yahweh, is God, that is, God the Father. Now Paul, whenever he quotes the Hebrew scriptures within his letters, he's going to quote them from the translation of the Septuagint, which is the early Greek translation. In the Septuagint of Exodus 3434, it doesn't carry the divine name over. It uses the noun Kurios, the word for Lord. And actually in the Septuagint of Exodus 3434, it uses curios without the article. It's also interesting that Paul makes the same reference to the Anarthurus Kurios in 2 Corinthians 3.16, where Paul says, Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, but the Lord there doesn't have the article, just as the Lord, the Kurios, in Exodus 34.34 Septuagint, also doesn't have the article. So it seems that as Moses was talking to the Lord, and that Lord was Yahweh, God the Father, that Paul's Pesher interpretation of saying that Moses was speaking to the Lord, and the Lord was the one that gave the glory that needed to be veiled, and that veil is the veil that keeps people within the Old Covenant, and the veil is ultimately removed when they turn and convert. Then the Lord there, seemingly, in 2 Corinthians 3.17 is a reference to God. It's a reference to God the Father. It's a reference to Yahweh. Because Moses was the one that turned to the Lord, the veil was taken away so that he could interact with God. So thereby, in the context, the most natural reference to the Lord in 2 Corinthians 3.17, which is identified with the Spirit, is the Lord God, is Yahweh. It doesn't seem to be a reference to Jesus. I checked this in modern commentaries, and it seems that the consensus interpretation is also that the Lord is a reference to Yahweh and not to Jesus. This is actually very helpful because if Paul, and there's a big if here because I could be wrong, but if Paul is regarding the presence of God in the Old Testament with the Holy Spirit of the new covenant, then Paul possesses the understanding of the Holy Spirit that dominates the Hebrew Bible, where, again, the Spirit is God's interactive presence working in the lives of his people. Moses interacted with the Lord God, with Yahweh, and that Lord is described by Paul as the Spirit. And where that interactive Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom because it is unveiled like the preaching of Paul, that is open, it is with great boldness, it's not like Moses that is veiled. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the Apostle Paul has much to say about the Holy Spirit's interaction with the crucified and risen Jesus. First, we noted that, in a variety of places, Paul seems to effortlessly speak of Jesus in terms of of the Holy Spirit, using the phrases Spirit of His Son, Spirit of Christ, and Spirit of Jesus Christ. These terms do not equate Jesus with the Spirit, as if the risen Jesus became the Holy Spirit. Instead, the Spirit overlaps the interaction of the risen Lord Jesus Christ in the lives of the new covenant people. Second, We carefully observe that Paul understands that the Holy Spirit is given by God alone. The Father, according to Paul, sends the Holy Spirit to his people. And Jesus does not seem to be involved in the process of sending other than overlapping the activity of the sent Spirit of God. Lastly, we looked at Paul's Pesher interpretation of Exodus 34:34 34, 34 in 2 Corinthians 3, where it seems that the reference to the Lord, who is the Spirit, probably refers to God, thus demonstrating Paul's theology of the Holy Spirit as the interactive presence of God in the lives of God's people. Thus far in our study, there is no indication that Paul believes or taught, that the Holy Spirit is a distinct person alongside the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit continues to function as God's powerful and personal interaction with his creation. And this interaction overlaps the activity of the exalted Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us. You can check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for listening to us. If this is your first time to the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you are a repeat listener, thank you so much for supporting the podcast, and I welcome you back. My name is Dustin Smith. So long, and take care.